things that you get angry about, but you do. Even your anger needs to be under control so that your reactions have a reason and a purpose. And, and so that's not, and, and we see he's our ultimate, uh, ultimate example. We talked about that, and I gave you a few illustrations about that. But then it leads to verse 4. He says, what, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, when he, whenever it says aforetime, you know, written aforetime, of course, it's talking about uh, the Old Testament. It's, saying, it's going back to references in the Old Testament. And uh, this, these things that were written aforetime directs our thoughts to Psalm 69.9. Uh, if you want to look there, but you'll see it uh, as I read it, it because he said, here in verse 8, uh, talking about the reproaches that have fallen upon him. And it says in, in verse 9 of Psalm 69, 9, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. And so it, it's, a, it's really it's, it's, it's a quote from the Old Testament, and it's just talking about the fact that, that uh, uh, Jesus is suffering uh, for for us, and so uh, now this was not a new thought or concept that Jesus was bringing up in in Romans. It was old as Scripture itself, and because of his zeal for his Father and for his Father's creation, he was willing to suffer the reproach of all men. He was willing to let it all come upon him. <clears throat> things that we couldn't bear, things that we couldn't face, Jesus was willing to face. He's willing. And willingly took upon himself the flesh of man and the reproach of man. You know, he came down from heaven, stepped away from the throne, came down from heaven and took on the flesh of man, the reproach of man. And, and so, and he did that all so he could suffer for us. And so, it, uh, and you say, why is that so important? We know those things. What we don't correlate is that that's what we're supposed to do. Now, we can never suffer to the extent that he suffered. We, we, we're not, we're not Jesus, but, but we, he is in, in life, he is our example uh, to how we should live. We should be willing to suffer the reproaches of others. We should be willing to take the abuse. We should be willing to let the words come at us. You know, uh, <laughs> sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's, that's a totally false statement because they hurt us all the time. But the truth is, is that we need to guard how we react to it. And, we, and the more we control our reactions, the less, truthfully, we ultimately will be hurt. Uh, you know, the more you control, uh, the less you're hurt. It's really when we lose control that the hurt becomes deepened. You, you know, I say so many people, you know, just so many things just need to be water off a duck's back. You know, it just, it hits, it rolls off, and it goes away, realizing it really doesn't make any difference because ultimately it's only important what one, one person thinks about me. Okay? Now, I love it if others think, think of me uh, uh, well, but, but it's ultimately important what he thinks about me because here's why it's so important, because he's the one that really knows me. Everybody else can make their assumptions of what they think I am. They can make their assumptions about what they think I meant when I said something or what they th you know, think I meant when I did something, but God knows my heart in a way that man cannot know it. Let's look at verse 5. 
Verse 5, I'm going to get y'all somewhere along the way to, you know, just kind of nod your head, say amen. I get this guy behind me just grunting every once in a while. Yeah, wave a handkerchief. Ladies, get a handkerchief out of there. I'd pull mine out, but it's dirty. And so, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you want me to wave it for you? Anybody want to use it? All right. All right, it's seven things just fell out of there. The, uh, verse 5, now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. Again, even though it's seemingly we're, we're kind of shifting gears, it's still continuing the same uh, vein of thought. God basically says in verse 5, I think he's kind of bringing it to a conclusion. And, and what he's saying here, he's saying you've seen the facts. You've seen the patience of God in your life. Has God been patient with anybody here? He's been incredibly patient with us. He's so patient with us. Keep on going. He's been so patient with us. A, a, a white handkerchief. It looks like you're fanning yourself. You're, you're, she gonna do, yeah. Um, totally retarded female. And so, so in conclusion, he said, you've seen the facts. You've seen the patience of God in your life. And we all have. And if we haven't, we're just not observant. We're not paying attention to how good and patient God is. Uh, you've seen the consolation, uh, which really means the admonition, the comfort, encouragement. We don't realize that word. A lot of times we think consolation is, is trying to, to, to comfort in that just total sense. But really, it's an encouraging comfort. It's, it's letting people know, hey, you're, you're going to be okay. And that's what God has, has done for us in so many situations. Uh, truthfully, that's what, uh, you know, hopefully that, that God, as we pray uh, for Brooke and for others, uh, you know, they're probably watching this, the, uh, when we pray for them, that there's consolation, that God brings uh, a, an encouragement to their spirit. Uh, because as we pray in the Spirit of God brings encouragement to their spirit. And that's really what he's talking about now, the God of patience and consolation. So he's not just patience with our stupidity. He's not just patience with our weaknesses. He's not just patient. He also consoles us. He says, you know, look, I know you fell, but we're going to be okay because you're getting up. And if you'll just get up, we're going to be okay. And, and God is there to encourage us and, and to help us and to motivate us. Can I, can I tell you, that's really all most people need. Uh, most people don't need you to tell them one more time how they messed up. Most good, decent Christians realize they messed up already. What they need to know is that there's hope for them to get up. Amen? Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, you can make it. We can get through because God can do anything. And so, praise the Lord. Thank you. Uh, we, need to do, we just need to be convinced that God can do anything. And that consoles me and that, that, that encourages me because no matter what we're going through, God can take care of us. You know, I probably gave this, but it's amazing how the things that God will do uh, just to encourage us, I, I, the, the night I was supposed to be tr leaving out, and we were at Joe Best's mom and daddy's, uh, well, at mama's uh, house, and, and so uh, we were supposed to just months ago, a year ago, I can't remember now, I guess a little over a year ago, we were getting ready to 
uh, leave to go to a meeting out of town up in all the way up in Wisconsin, I think it was. We were going to drive all the way up there. We were getting ready to just pull away when we got the call from Ashley that Luke had had a heart attack. And, 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 uh, and, and so we, at first, it seemed like everything was going to be okay. It was something mild. It was going to, you know, but while we were there, just just prepping to walk out the door, say bye to her, and get out the door. It's when we got the second call that he was having another heart attack, and they didn't know if he was going to make it. And, 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 you know, I just immediately, I couldn't do it. I walked outside, and I just began to cry and say, God, I, I'm, I'm, I, my heart's in torment. I'm 700 miles away from him. I couldn't do anything if I was there. She's got seven, uh, well, at that time, six children and a baby on the way. I said, Lord, please. And I, and I, I don't always say this, but I said, well, would you just let me know it's going to be okay? And, and this may mean, mean nothing to you, but, but I, I was standing right out there, and it's, it's, it's always been a... a God loves me, signed to me to see a shooting start as I was standing out there in that driveway with tears running down my face. A shooting star ran across the sky. You know, I have not seen another shooting star since that night. And I walk out virtually every night and not seen another one. And I, and I just immediately, I just said, Lord, thank you. Because I believe he was, he was saying to me, it's going to be okay. Now, why would my God have to go to that extreme? And some people say, you know, they, they, you know, you don't know that was from God. Hey, you don't know it wasn't. And he was all right. So I just believe, I believe that my God is so patient with me. He saw every weakness in me, but he also saw my need at that moment. So, he says in conclusion, I'm, I'm here, you've seen it. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, you've seen it. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded toward another, uh, uh, one toward another, according to Jesus Christ. He said, you've seen what I've been to you. Why won't you be that to others? That's convicting, folks. He's seen how patient I am with you with you and he you've seen how he consoles you and encourages you when, when your heart is is down when you're why can't we be that way to each other and then i well so he, he just i believe he kind of concludes that we should desire and strive to have the mind of christ about others and when we think about the mind of Christ, he's telling us right here that this is the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is to console others. The mind of Christ is to be patient with others. We think so often, I think, to have the mind of Christ is, you know, just have it chock full of Scripture. But no, it, it, it's, it's, to, it's to live with others like Christ would live. Verse six, it says that you may be that the, you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I love this verse because of what it, what I believe it really says. It says that you may with one mind and one mouth 
glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, I believe God's saying it needs to be real in your heart and your mind and in your mouth. Now folks, what God's saying here, let's, let's just make this clear. What God's saying here is sometimes we can be so sugary sweet, Christian, I'm praying for you, brother. I love you, man. Hey, it's going to be okay. But it's not really in my heart. Now, in my heart, I'm just doing that so you'll think I'm a good guy. You say, well, what, what, how do you know? Do you think about, pray about him after this? Does it ever enter your mind a second after you say that? Or is it somebody else that you can look to so that they will be, they'll think you're good too? God says, what he's saying is, he said, it needs to be in your heart and mind as well as your mouth. You know, I, I, I love them to death. You know, an old friend of mine um, has, you know, a statement, I don't know, I'm sure it's not original with them, but, but you know, fake it till you make it. Uh, but, you know, the, the truth is, uh, our goal shouldn't be to live in the fake it stage. It ought to be the real stage. If it's real in your heart and your mind, what happens is, is that your mouth will match because whatever, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And God's saying if it's real in your heart, it's going to overflow out your mouth. And so some try to fake it by their words and outward facade, but God says let this be really who you are. I mentioned this already a little bit, but it, you know, it's the one thing that I want to be so badly in in, in Calvary is that is that from the day we walked in here we've known that that the love we've known the compassion we've known the the, the sincerity of heart but but folks uh, don't lose that as as we get more people in more and it gets a little bit busier you know uh, if I have anything I wish I could go back and turn back the clock uh, back in my life and go back I would go back and just say no to some things so that I could slow down enough to care more deeply about individuals rather than just dealing with the masses. You know, I, I was mentioning, I think it was to Mike today, you know, there was a point in time when I first few years I went on staff at the college, I, I had a, a sign-up sheet for kids to see me, and most of them wouldn't be three or four-minute long thing, but in every day for probably five years, I saw anywhere from 45 to 75 students a day. They were lined up outside my door. And initially, when I first started, they would be lined up 20 and 25, 30 kids outside my door. 
Well, they had to come to me, and it, and it wasn't because I was some great counselor, just because I dealt with their activity reports and their, and their chapel attendance reports and all these things, but they were all hand-filled out kind of things, and the activity report had like a 26 different blanks on it that you had to fill out properly, and if you didn't, uh, then that you got demerits for any blank that was not filled out properly, and so they would have to come in and correct that with me. So all this crowd would have to line up outside my door, and I finally said, okay, look, you know, because I, I would have 30 kids have been out there for an hour waiting on me, and then, and then I'd get called into a meeting and have to look at them and say, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't stay, and so they've just said, stood there. So I started a system where I would have them sign up at a particular time according to my schedule, knowing, okay, I'm not supposed to be in any meetings, I, you know, then I'm supposed to be here with you. Well, 45 to 75 a day. But you know, I, I I don't know how I would have done it, but I, I wish so deeply that I could turn back the clock and just be closer individually to more of them. I, I wish I could somehow turn back the clock and actually learn their names. But that's what I want. I can't turn back that clock, but bless God, I can bring what I learned here that means we need to know each other and watch this it's more than knowing each other's names is good but it goes past that it's looking into each other's eyes and knowing their need caring what that need is okay i'm just be point blank i don't know i i, I can i can probably kind of guess now you know what Josh unspoken request might be or at least a portion of it but I know right now from the moment I walked in the door something's heavy it's heavy on his heart it was from his eyes it was from his voice there was something heavy now I don't know what that heavy is and I'm not going to force him to tell me what that heavy is because that's not the issue. I don't have to know what the heavy is. I just need to know that there's a heavy. If we're real, then we should take another by the hand and let them into our heart. Because that's what Jesus did. And he sincerely treat others, love others, do for others, watch over others as Christ has done for us. And this is what he's trying to make so clear to us. And this chapter's in he he's talking so much in chapter 14 and 15, but but he's gonna culminate it by saying, Listen, I've tried to teach you how important it is that you're good to other people, and how important it is that you don't conflict with them, and how important it is that you don't become a stumbling block to them, and that you don't encourage them to do anything against their conscience and and hurt them. And you know, folks. When you believe something is a, is a sin, whether it really, you know, we get to heaven and it's not a sin, you still live under conviction and discouragement that you sin. You do. And so God's saying, we don't, don't, don't do these things. And he comes all the way to this, this ending and he's saying, 
Because this is what I am, and this is what I do. And he said, if you want to really be real, seek my mind and my heart about this. Verse 7 says, wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Look what it says. Jesus received, everybody in here, if you're saved tonight, Jesus received you. And guess what? Just as I am, without one plea. He, look, he received me, and do you think any one of us came to him in some kind of perfection? No, we came to him weak and sinful creatures. We didn't clean up and come to him. We came to him dirty because even our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. But he says, wherefore receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And I just say, please, folks, uh, look, don't expect everybody to be perfect. They can't do it. We can't do it. You say, but I, man, they did this, they did that. They did. Really? Do you want us to make a list about you? Yeah, I was told for years and years and years, you know, that, you know, uh, that you know, don't let it, people know about your dirty laundry. Don't let, you know, don't tell too many stories of your failures. You know, uh, you know, your feet stink, but don't take your shoes off. Let everybody smell them. But I always figured it's just like this. Hey, I'm going to just go ahead and let you know. That way, when I mess up, you're not surprised. Okay? I'm human just like you are. You might even catch me on a bad day. You don't want to, but you might. Amen. All right. Now, we, we, we come to this, you know, God has received us for a purpose, and this purpose is the ultimate glory of God. And, and he received us, and ultimately everything, even our salvation is for the glory of God. Everything, our creation is for the glory of God. Our salvation is for the glory of God. Everything is for the glory of God. All right, then we get to verse, verse 8, and I said we're going to get, you know, get, I don't know if we'll ever finish Romans. The, um, at verse 8, there seems to begin a change in thought, but re in reality, it's really, to me, it's an emphasis and a reminder that's being made. You know, for almost two chapters, the Lord has spoken to us about relationships and how, how they are and, and, and what they should be. And this is culminated in verse 7, what we just talked about, uh, chapter 15, as we just read, where he says, Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And it, and it sort of culminates there. And, and, and he's, he's really been teaching us uh, about our relationships. And he says, in verse 8, though, he says, verse 8 will begin to address the specific prejudice that faces the people of the day. See, it seems to change thoughts a little bit, but really it's not. 
he, he's, he's just keeps line upon line here. He's telling us how to treat each other, and he's telling us why to tr- you know, we should treat each other, because Jesus did uh, uh, this way. You know, why we should treat each other this way, because Jesus is how Jesus treats us. And now he's going to address the specific prejudice of the day. In verse 8, it'll begin to address this. The most intense, uh, intense issue that has brought about the need for most of this discussion. This is what these, these two chapters, what he, he's about to say is that I'm going to tell you why this is even being written at this point in time. Now, we have to understand it has a direct application to the time period, to when it was written, but it also has application. The Word of God is everlasting, and so it applies to us today, and this especially applies to us today. But and so the most intense issue that has brought about the need for this discussion is the Jew and the Gentile and their relationship up to this point. You know, the Jew and the Gentile didn't get along. Obviously, the Jew felt they were better than the Gentile. There was conflict. They didn't get along. The Jew would struggle with the Gentiles receiving of salvation. The Jews really struggling now. They, they don't like the fact that this lower class group of people have, have received this same thing they've received. Now, the Jew would struggle with the Gentile receiving salvation, and they would struggle with the Gentiles' understanding of salvation. Not only do they struggle with them receiving salvation, they can't agree with what, you know, they, how they understand salvation. They just, look, we had to be good Jews to get salvation in their mind. Uh, and, and you just come along, you weak, and, and you frail, and you sinful, and you, you godless Gentiles. You just suddenly say, you got Jesus. Well, guess what? That's what grace is. And so there's, there's a struggle here. The Gentile has been looked down upon by the Jew and now receives the same gift the Jews receive. The Gentile is equal to the Jew and in some ways actually understands grace in a way that the Jew does not. You see, the Jew and the Gentile are in conflict and what's happening here is that the Gentile, the lower class, is uh, they actually understand salvation in a way the Jew doesn't understand salvation. So this brings us to the emphasis reminder uh, that comes that Jesus has come to receive the Jew and the Gentile. The reminder comes that everybody's the same. The reminder comes that, that regardless of your background, Jesus came for both of you. For all of you. Anybody say amen? He came for everybody. So there's no somebody better and somebody worse. He came for everybody. For God so loved the world. He is the minister of the circumcision, the scripture will say. And he has shown mercy to the Gentiles. So he's the minister to the Jews and he's shown mercy to the Gentiles. He confirms to the Jews the promises of God that have been made to them through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he bestows mercy unto the Gentile who was not the recipient of those promises, but the recipient of God's promise of grace and mercy. That leads to Romans 18, 
I mean, Romans 15, verse 8, it says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And what he's saying is, God's saying, look, I, I came to minister unto I, Jesus said, I came for the Jew and all the promises to fulfill. I came to the Gentiles to give them mercy, and you better praise me for that. And I don't know if y'all understand this, but we'd be those Gentiles. All right? Now, this is a challenge to the Gentile believer also to praise God and rejoice for they have been engrafted into the tree. So God not only tells him, he said, look, I, you know, I fulfilled these promises, but he said, you know, I also brought you in. And so... Uh, you ought to just praise me for what I've done. They have grace and mercy bestowed upon them, the Gentiles. They are challenged to rejoice, praise, and the word is laud, which is another form of praise, which is sort of uh, like this, to, to clap the hands kind of praise, to applaud kind of praise. And rejoicing and praising God for salvation uh, has come to the Gentiles. And in verse 10 it says this, and again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. You see, God's making it so abundantly clear, and I think the reason it's being written at this way at this time especially is that the Jews... They were very confident in what they had. And, the, and we're talking about Jewish Christians now. They, they, had, they, they, they had been promised the Messiah. The Messiah had come, and, and they received him, and now they're saved. And so uh, they have done everything they're supposed to do. They're very confident. The Gentile is over here, and, and he's been beat down for so long, and he's been held down for so long, but, he has it, but, but God is saying to them, you know what you need to do? I tell you what, these people are over here are in their confidence that they're just like, okay, we have it, we know it. And these over here, he's saying to them, listen, uh, don't worry about them. What you need to do right now is you need to just smile, shout, clap, praise God. He came to you. He came to you. Verse 12, we just read it again. Isaiah says, it's probably a reference to Isaiah uh, 11.1 1 and Isaiah 11.10. It says, 11.1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 10 in Isaiah chapter 11 says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest She'll be glorious. You know, it's, it's almost amazing that even like Peter, that he'd be surprised that he'd be going to the Gentiles because it was told in Isaiah that they would. This wasn't just for the Jews. It was going to the Gentiles. And listen, everybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. 
It doesn't matter what race we are. It doesn't matter what nationality we are. It doesn't matter with, you know, ethical, uh, ethical. <laughs> what was I trying to say? Uh, eth- yeah, that almost sounds like a sissy. Ethnicity. Uh, I don't know where that came from. I just, that was crazy. Um, <laughs> now, here's it. We're about done. There are two great truths to be found in the ch- in the chapters that we've been studying. We're not finished with 15, but but uh, there's two great truths, and I, w- I want to leave you with these. The two great truths that as we study this is this. Number one, the plan of redemption is to re- reconcile us all to God, Jew and Gentile. The plan of redemption is to reconcile us all to God. But number two, the plan of redemption also should reconcile each of us to each other. Because it's through the, and we'll find out, we don't have time to go to it, but when we are reconciled to God, the Holy Spirit of God comes in. And if he's truly in here and we have the love of God that we're supposed to love, that's just like it should, and we're going to see this more in depth next week, but just like it should have made the Jews and Gentiles throw away all barriers and say we love each other. We may look different. We may act different. We may talk different. We may cook different. We may eat different. But we're all children of God. You know who enables them to do that with a love beyond human comprehension? The Holy Spirit of God. And we're going to begin next next week in this as we finalize chapter 15. That the, it's going to be a reminder that the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Son. And whether we understand it or not, or whether we believe it or not, we have a tendency to categorize them. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not it. They are co-equal. Just through the grace of God, He manifests himself to us in a way that best encourages us, edifies us. But there's no diminishing of one from the other. They're co-equal because they're all one. And so one can't be greater than the other. Does this make sense? All right. We'll look at that next week because Brother Jeff is going to close us in prayer.